0: Uh, so almost twenty two years ago, uh, my wife uh, was preparing to have another uh, baby, and we were um, stockpiling supplies, uh, unplugging our computer and studying the book of Revelation and prep for why to can have that yeah, so that's where we were. Um, No. That's the first I've got to this dinner. simply comes from my sleeve and tells me that 50 times to- Honestly, I had no idea how much time had passed after that. Um, I was I was pretty locked in. You a little I over to the driveway, and then she's actually pulling in like right behind us. And so uh, I walk Esther in the house, and she's using me as like a walker. I'm walking backwards, and she's using the arms as like a walker. And she's like, "Get this, get this," but she hasn't let any weight off my arms. And I'm like, "Dave, okay, but uh, you gotta." And she's like, "No, no, I got, I can, I can." Like, you gotta get this. You gotta get. It. I'm like, "Dave, I can't do anything." And so we're having this. So I get her in the bedroom. I literally like run out the front door and. run back in, and I'm, I'm cleaning up. And I, I, after I cleaned up, I literally got there, and the head is already burnt. And I literally got there just in time to catch the baby um, when I got back in the door. And I haven't even got a first stuff out yet. So I'm now holding a baby <laughs> and going, all my The church turned the door and was like, "You guys go, okay?" And I'm like, "No, you have to come see here. I don't have anything. I need you to get up in the closet and get myself." And so, uh, and so she got everything out, and we were able to get through it. after you have five boys and you finally have a girl, it is like someone, a monster walking and vomited all over your entire house. Like, all we got was paint for, uh, for everything. Uh, and then, uh, and I have this story, with this story today, for the same reason that we're having a, bed, a baby dedication this month, it's because the Christmas story is about birth and babies um, all the way back to the prophecy that said, unto you a child, is Christmas story has been a birth story. Angels sang, wise the traveled, pizza salesmen sold their wares, and babies were born. It's the Christmas story. And incidentally, my sister-in-law bought me that pizza um, and, and brought it to our house, and it was awful. Um, and so, um, <laughs> this morning's passage is fascinating because it comes from another birth story. In fact, it comes from the uh, birth story. Our passage is found in the second chapter of Luke, Um, and if you want to read along, you can uh, check the screen behind me, or you can turn in your own Bible after Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading verses 67 to 79. Again, I read from the message version, um, because I like the way it renders some of the poetic um, passages of Scripture, which is what we're reading today. And it reads like this, Then Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He came and set his people free. Set the power of salvation in the center of our lives and in the very house of David and servant, just as he promised long ago through the preaching of his holy prophets deliverance from our enemies and every hateful hand mercy to our fathers as he remembered, remembers to do what he said he'd do what he swore to our father Abraham a clean rescue from the enemy camp so we can worship him without a care in the world made holy before him Long as we live. And you, my child, prophet of the highest, will go ahead of the Master and prepare his way, present, uh, present the offer of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of their sins. Though the, Through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those in darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way, one. this is called the Song of Zechariah um, classically or the Benedictus um, and though uh, Luke calls it a prophecy it's written in poetic style it's written in uh, first century poetry um, and I will add uh, those of you um, who are like me and bored very quickly of uh, Christmas music um, I think this is one of the reasons that the Christmas story is so powerfully associated with music um, is because the like the first two chapters of Luke are like a musical. Like, there are songs after songs that, that are written in these, almost like when Luke wrote his gospel, he was, like, thinking Christmas. Because, uh, because Elizabeth sings, Mary sings, Zacharias sings, angels sing. Like, the first two books are just kind of song after song after song. So there's almost as much art in the Christmas story as there is narrative. Uh, and today's uh, reading is one of those songs. So just for some context, this is the, the, a song that Zechariah um, wrote at the birth of John. So John the Baptist um, uh, is this. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and actually back up a little bit in the chapter and, and talk about kind of the context behind this song. Um, and I'm going to go back to the New Living Translation because this is narrative and, I, and, uh, and that's what we normally teach out of. Um, when Herod was king of Judah, Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth, also, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. Uh, as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense were being burned, Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. He will be great, for you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Many Israelites to the Lord God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts and the, the hearts of the fathers to the children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the Godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How uh, can I be sure this will happen? Uh, I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand at the very present. between this moment, where he get when an angel um, says, you're going to have a baby, um, and when he wrote this song, like some of the things that have happened we you know, um, uh, but the angel, uh, uh, but Luke chooses to focus on these two stories, the, this kind of prophecy that baby's coming, and then really the, the uh, song. love the way that this story speaks to this week's um, kind of Advent virtue of hope. Um, I'm sure you know we're in week two of Advent now, where we engage in this kind of truly ancient discipline of waiting for the Messiah to arrive, um, uh, to show up in our stories. Um, And we engage this process of waiting by doing two things. First, we look back at the Christmas story as kind of evidence that we serve a God who shows up. Alone, but rather came and entered our story to save us. And the the second way we participate in this ancient process of waiting um, is by deliberately and actively stirring up our hunger to see Jesus. Um, It's super easy in our world to get caught up in our daily lives and just kind of the stress and drama it takes. a lot of our attention and we can kind of get caught up in that. Um, and we can lose track of the real story of life. Um, we can just kind of get so caught up in making it through the day we, we lose track of kind of the grand air the compass for all the things we do. Um, the God story. Uh, and I don't think that's all a bad thing. Honestly, I think you can also get so consumed with like the end game that you forget to live the life God has given you to live and to enjoy the things He's given you to enjoy. And So, um, what I love about the Advent season is it kind of sets a time every year to reset our focus and to kind of take a minute to pause um, and, and remind ourselves that our story is rooted in a very old story that is also pointed toward this beautiful conclusion um, that our hearts really long for. lose track of when we're just trying to get through the next day. So it gives us a minute to stop and focus on the things that are truly important. So for one month, we do just that. We pause, we listen to our guts, our souls, and uh, and we find them crying out for the return of our King. And we do this by meditating on four virtues. Peace, hope, joy, and love. Uh, Because as we focus on these things, we will inevitably find ourselves Calling out for Jesus' adventus, his, his arrival, both eschatologically, you know, in the grand sense, and personally in our own lives. Um, so, last week we looked at peace and how David, um, maybe the greatest songwriter in history, when you think about the fact that 3,000 years later we're still singing his music, um, so maybe the, the greatest songwriter in history wrote a song that kind of rolled back the curtain on his own heart and revealed the kind of chaos. All the different stresses and worries and fears and things that kind of bounce around, um, and how uh, and how he found peace in the midst of that by focusing on a good God who is in control of things, um, and, and finding that maybe the most peaceful place in the universe is just in that knowledge that God is is sovereign. Well, this week, Zechariah's song takes us into the meditation of hope. So uh, our job is for the next week, kind of digging in and focusing and meditating on. Um, And I have to be really honest, this is a tough one for me, especially this year, because frankly, um, hope is in short supply these days. Um, I found that I really don't know how to talk about hope right now, um, which turned out to be a good thing, because um, this morning's passage actually helped me to unlock a little bit of how hope works, Um, but also hopefully maybe find some way let it do its work on us. This piece of art a hope that it brings us. So the first thing I'd like to do is take a minute to recognize that hope is absolutely both unlikely and completely essential. Um, we're going to unpack that a little bit. I say unlikely because we live on a planet that has been cursed um, to fight against us and it's being managed by a group of creatures 100% of whom are broken and fallen sinners. And, and that is the, just the condition we find ourselves in. Um, every single one of us live every day knowing that we will all someday cease to do so. You know, we're all... There's, none of us get out of this alive, and we just live with that knowledge. Um, and we know that the road from now to that day is going to be filled with hard work, pain, and disappointment. And so every... Once in a while, we run into someone who has no hope, and we find that the anomaly, um, when in fact, in fact, we tend to call somebody who has absolutely no hope, you know, mentally ill, like they have, they're, they're struggling. And what's crazy to think about is it seems like having hope in this world should be the mental illness. It seems like, you know, having any hope um, is what should be the anomaly. It should be rare. And yet, we hope, as generally, as people, have hope. We wake up in the morning feeling against all evidence as though waking up was a good thing. Um, and, uh, and and this strange force pulls us forward looking expectantly into whatever is around the next the um, Hope is incredibly unlikely um, and frankly surprising if you put any thought into it at all. And yet, as unlikely as it may be in this broken world, it is unbelievably essential. Um, that we have hope, we must have hope. And this hit me incredibly hard this year, as we lost a member of our church family, and, and many of our members' actual family um, to hopelessness. Um, when, you, when you when you look at it, bare bones. As I was preparing this message, I was torn on whether or not even to talk about this. my friend Josiah. I know many of you were super close to. Died um, knowing that he had struggled with his emotional health before. I swore to myself that I would make a concerted effort to bring this subject of mental and emotional health um, out of the shadows of personal and private struggle and make it a community reality and responsibility. This is something we have to talk about together and care for one another. Um, because when hope disappears, we all suffer daily. Um I stood in Josiah's family, and in that moment, I recognized that um, hopelessness is not a private thing. We were corporately suffering from it. I, mean, I know we have a lot of people here who have been touched by that. Uh, and this is because hope is absolutely essential to life. Josiah was full of faith. He, he, had, a, he had great faith. He, uh, he was um, uh, he loved Jesus and lived to please his Savior. He was full of joy. Like real, childlike Josiah knew that. And he also loved deeply. He loved his wife and kids and family and friends and even strangers he met at Walmart. Like he had a great deal of love. Um, And when someone like that dies, especially when Josiah did it leave behind these huge questions: was his faith real? Was that joy just a mask that he was hiding behind? Was did he really love us? And and we have all these questions, and, and as I was praying and studying through this message today, I realized that, that yes, all those things were real, uh, and you can have all those things, and if you don't have hope, uh, you still uh, wind up lost. I think hope is absolutely essential, completely and utterly essential, so please don't think that today's message is just a standard, annual, somewhat perfunctory message on hope, because We're discussing this morning's um, topic uh, because in a uh, as inexplicable as hope is in this fallen world, it is 100% essential. This is a survival message. It is something we all need to things to, to live, um, we, we don't put enough effort into making sure we have hope, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm not willing um, to leave this topic in a kind of This is something we have to talk about together. So what is hope? You know, as we discussed last week, um, all the Advent virtues are incredibly difficult to define with words alone which is why the Bible so often turns to the language of our soul, our uh, poetry, um, to talk about some of these topics. And know I'm going to attempt to define it with words today. Um, I have to say that uh, it's this piece of art that we're talking to Zachariah's soul um, that really brought it to life for me this week. Um, and here is my definition. Hope is not only is to not only have a goal or a dream or a desire, but also to see some path to attain it. To not only have a goal, a dream or a desire, but to see some path to attain that. Um, and in this morning's reading, Zachariah's song, we see kind sort of the unfolding of this huge story. Praise the Lord, Zacharias had a baby, which is amazing. Um, in fact, at this age, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's even more significant, not just because it's miraculous, but he and he and Elizabeth had a baby in at old age, but because that makes this a God story. Because God, written on one of the most well known stories in the Jewish lexicon, is the story of God giving Abraham a son when he's 100 and Sarah's 90 years So this kind of has like God's. goes up until Zachariah that Elizabeth's going to have a baby. Um, this never for a moment hits Zachariah like it's just a blessing for him. Oh, great, a baby. He's like, oh my gosh, we're part of a big story. Like this is like, like the people of Israel came from this kind of story. This is clearly a key So he sees the wider story, which is why we see in his song you know, that he that he takes this out of a baby and he ties it into this big, grand narrative. All the amazing of the God. Story. Um, uh, is that have you ever heard somebody who, like tell a story? They're like um, I don't know, somebody just amazing presence. Here they're going to have the presence of God all over the right. You know, um, uh, that's like this. Like this is not a. This is not a small story. Zechariah he recognizes the big scope of what's happening. The second the angel says, "You're going to have a baby," Zechariah has the Text for that promise, and, uh, and it serves to uh, almost announce that God is, is doing something huge right now. This is a God. A souffle. I don't even know very many people who can just whip up a souffle. But I, I know people have to work pretty hard to make a souffle and get a souffle right. And I know I have no hope of ever making one.
1: But I absolutely know how to make
0: a human. Like, it seems like making a human should be way harder than making a souffle. And yet, I can make a human. I have no idea how to make a souffle. Um, it doesn't even seem like that should be <laughs> right. You know, I've heard people lament over not being able to get their legs put out right and then we make humans by accident all the time like it just it happens and and so what happens with Zachariah is really not that weird that's a baby and that's pretty much it that's all that happens um so when Zachariah sings this huge song this big epic song about the redemption of God only nothing else is really happened had a baby. And that's kind of it. The baby has done nothing yet, other than be born. Um, And yet, the baby somehow gives rise to this explosion of worship and prophecy. Why? And I think the answer is the root of my definition for hope. The Jews for centuries um, had prophecies about this Messiah. They've been talking about it for a very, very long time to redeem the people of God. Um, and it, it was kind of their mantra. It was their theme. Um, you know, one day the Messiah will come. Zechariah alludes to all that historical prophetic material in his song. Um, that, that all of this has been talked about forever. And none of that did he learn from Gabriel. None of that did Gabriel say. He just said, you know, you're going to have a baby. And he's going to open the way for God. Zechariah already knew all that. That was already studied the Scripture. He knew the Old Testament. Zechariah knew all the right things. His knowledge was all in the right place. he studied the Scriptures. he participated participate in the annual liturgies that brought these stories to life. He told the stories and and, uh, and, and read and prayed the promises over and over again. Zechariah didn't need to know the truth. He already knew the truth of what God was going to do. What baby John did was it allowed Zechariah to... Uh, his life to, to see a path to that desired goal. So Zechariah knew the Messiah was coming. Zechariah knew that God was going to redeem his people, but suddenly he's holding a baby that looks like the way there. For so the first time ever he sees, oh my gosh, I can see how God is going to do this. He saw a path forward. I mean, think about it, Zechariah constructs this gorgeous, spirit-led song full of hope, of expectation. When Jesus hasn't even entered the scene yet. Jesus isn't even born yet. Nothing's really happened. And John has, uh, uh, when John has the baby, it's still going to be at least 33 years before the, the resurrection, or the at least 2,022 years before the full redemption, at least before the full redemption that Zachariah is actually singing about and hoping for. So there's still a lot of road left when Zachariah is holding this baby. And all he um, uh, and all he has is the first step. I now I'm holding in my hands the first step of that redemption, and that is enough for Zachariah to have hope. Like, this is going to happen, and he writes this beautiful piece of art about how convinced it's going to happen, and and like lives almost as though it's already happened when all he has is step one. I think hope has far less to do with the goal than it does with the path. Uh, and, and maybe um, path is even too concrete. It, the first step. He needs the first step. I need to know what, to, what that God is, is moving. Zechariah experiences the redemption of God long before that redemption actually takes place. Um, because it's so real to him in the form of hope. So when we're battling hopelessness or, or helping others to do so, um, it's not always that we have to give them you know, a goal or the right knowledge. Zechariah had those. Zechariah knew what the goal was, God's redemption. He had all the right knowledge from the prophets on what that was going to look like. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's not about solving their problems or, or, uh, or, or fixing things or helping somebody even achieve their goals. So the question, uh, with a working definition of hope uh, that we believe is so vitally important to the soul that we have a goal and we have at least the first step to get there, that God has us on a path, um, then how do we get hope? Where do we find hope? And I think hope has to be attached to something tangible, and let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, The moment John was born, Zachariah's entire, entire Changing. We just see that um, in this, uh, between the two stories that Luke tells about it, um, this guy who, uh, and I think the language that is used maybe tones it down a little bit. I think, you know, because the angel Gabriel says, hey, since you doubted what I said, you know, it doesn't really sound that much like doubt to us. I'm assuming when it played out, there was, there was more there. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the angel's a little frustrated that Zechariah doesn't believe him. So we see this guy, and, and kind of fun nerd work, um, theologians always compare that moment um, to the response when Gabriel talks to Mary, because all Mary says is, be a done to me according to your will, and, and gets commended for that. Zachariah is like, hold on, how do I know this, you know, and gets kind of rebuked for that. So you kind of see this contrast between the, the two stories. But, um, but the... Uh, But um the but we see this kind of doubting guy who, who doesn't believe the angel and then we see this guy just like vomiting hope, you know, just like this writing this beautiful poetry about hope and some huge transition happened there between those two stories. Um and uh and what's funny, if I were Zachariah's uh you know, Bible teacher and wanted to be, you know, totally strict about it, I'd be going, Well, dude, you know, having a baby is not really the thing to anchor your hope in. Like, really, the Scripture the things the prophets said, that's way more reliable. You know, I might have tried to correct him, but something about holding that baby changed everything. He had to have something tangible to attach his hope to. Um, Because all the rest, although reliable and he knew it in his mind, um, it didn't come alive until he had something real to fix his hope on. Um, We talked last week about the kind of two conflicting cortices in our brain, um, and how the limbic cortex, where we feel things, um, kind of our emotional center, has no language processing. And and that, it reacts to images and sounds and, and actions, but not logic. You can't, anybody who's ever been like panicking and tried to tell themselves to calm down knows that. Your limbic cortex does not respond to language. It doesn't just go, "Oh, okay." Oh, oh, oh no, that makes sense. Um, you can't rationalize with it, um, and this is what happens to Zachariah. Uh, he knows in his cerebral cortex that God will redeem His people. He's been studying that his whole life. He's a priest. That was his job: was to know and quote and talk about these things. Um, and and uh, but his soul limbic cortex, if you want to call that, has not gotten that message until he's holding a miracle baby. And the second he has something real to fix his hope on, uh, that message that his brain had had for a long time finally sinks in to his guts. And he feels it, that this is not just a miracle, this is the miracle. This is part of the grand story. Um, This is why it's so important, I think, break our big goals and dreams and desires into smaller, measurable steps. Because we need something concrete to fix our eyes on. Um, it's way easier to believe that God's going to redeem His people when He sends a baby to an unlikely likely couple and an angel tells you He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Like in that moment, it's like, it's the tiny step and you don't, it doesn't matter if there's 4,937 more steps that have to happen. When you see step number one happen, suddenly you're like, We are on the path. This is happening and hope comes alive. You might argue that that uh, that Zachariah is jumping the gun a little bit. Like if we were to watch, we'd be like, dude, there's such a little road, this is like step number one. Mellow out a little bit. But that's not how hope works. Hope hope is a, when it's alive, it's alive. Zachariah wouldn't care because when you have a defined goal and a clear path to get there and Miracle step one, hope becomes reality. Um, it's not just wishing or wanting. Um, this is faith that is so real um, in the expected outcome that you live as though it's already a reality. Um, uh, so listen to uh, Zachariah's verb tense in, the, in this song as he, as he talks about God's redemption. Remember, there's a long way before this redemption is going to play out. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah, this is already a reality. This is already real. This isn't, he's going to do this someday. Zechariah, the second he has this baby, his hope is so real, he's already living, and so it's happened. You have redeemed your people. Because he hasn't. When Zechariah says those words, nothing has changed. Um, there is so much future left story with Zachariah saying these words, um, that it's simply too early to know what God will do in any realistic, rational way, except is holding a baby. And he knows um, we've accomplished step number one. I can see the path forward to the dream, and that is enough to make that dream real to him. Uh, in fact, this is how Zachariah actually wraps up the psalm. Um, though the, through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those in darkness, those sitting in the shadows of death, uh, then showing us the way one foot at a time down the path of peace. He's going to take us step by step. And if I had to sum up uh, the way that hope works in the world, sitting in the shadow of death and showing us the way one foot at a time down the path of peace. One step at a time. One measurable accomplishment at a time. See, the end result can sometimes diminish our hope. Sometimes the goal can actually hurt the hope. Um, Holiness can be this way. Uh, We, you know, when you, as Christians, our desire is to be like Jesus, of course, and sometimes that goal Being like Jesus, if that's all you have, can be heavy. That can almost be too much because um, when you compare, you know, where you're supposed to be with where you are, it can get real hopeless real fast. You're like, I am so broken and so lost. At least for me, it's like laughable. You know, when I I look at Jesus and I look at where I am, you know, uh, and, and a lot of holiness movements can crush people. That way, not because the standards are too high. The standards are right. Jesus is supposed to be the standard. Uh, we, that can never change. But, but um, rather because they don't offer any tangible steps to get there. It's just here's the goal. Here's where you are. You suck. So good luck. You know, and that's that, and that can be heavy. That can almost hurt hope. Uh, and I know it sounds just like mind games or positive mental attitude or whatever. But when we have a Picture of this perfect person, you know, we're supposed to be, and we know what the reality is. We know where we actually are, um, and we know that we're going to end every single day between now and then pretty much a failure in the main goal. Um, we're never going to fully meet the standard until we're with Him. But when we break God's ultimate redemption that is imminent, we know it's going to happen um, because, of the, because of our faith, uh, and we break it down to day, I need to be connected to His body and find somebody, some way, a way to spread the love of God today. Well, now we have a day. We have a day we can accomplish. We have something we can do. You know, yeah, the goal is heavy, but my job today is to advance God's kingdom and love one, in one person and, and, to, and to connect to His body in one way. Well, that you can go to bed that night feeling like you know, man, I texted such and such and stayed connected and I waved to my neighbor and said God bless you, you know, whatever like I did what I could today and I took a step that i meet with somebody that i do something to make a connection that um, i do something loving uh, that I didn't have to do you know and when we break the goal down into measurable steps at the end of that day maybe nothing has changed the world like maybe nothing major has happened except you know that you took a step in that direction you're moving in a healthy direction Um, that you were supposed to. And even if you didn't succeed, you're you're holding step one. I spread some love today. I advanced the kingdom a little bit today. And that feeling of hope when you have that day is powerful. And, And then when you string two or three of those days together, and then a week together, and then a whole bunch of people do it, you start to make an impact on the world for good and for love. Taking one small step and fostering hope. And you're like Zachariah, holding a a miracle baby that means God is moving and and that that we are heading in in a direction to advance His kingdom. In other words, it is the process that gives hope. Not the end result. The end result can sometimes uh, be heavy, but the process gives hope. And that's what makes hope such a fragile thing. Uh, if, If you can't see the goal, you feel no hope don't know where you're heading and life has no purpose and you have no um, end game. You have no hope. And yet when you see the goal clearly and you see no path to get there, you also have no hope. It's crushing. Embracing the journey, the path, the daily grind um, is actually what builds hope in our This is why I love Zachariah's song so much. Uh, because it's not only an inspiring song about the hope of redemption, but it's a song that was written um, right in the middle of an admittedly long and, uh, and incomplete journey. And this isn't, you know, somebody who is finished and they're like, Here's how I did it and kept hope. This is written from the middle of, of the journey. And that's what this series, all, series is all about uh, because definitions of what hope is and how to foster hope um, uh, is, is great but this year's Advent series is called The Language of the Soul what makes you feel hope not just understand it um, in our minds but actually feel it uh, in a soul level gut level place and I think there's nothing that does that like a baby um Something about children uh, gives us hope. Something about Zechariah at his advanced age, having a baby in the middle of Israel, which was probably one of the worst times in history to live in Israel. um, And something about holding this little baby changes everything in his guts, in his soul. And if you've ever held a newborn, uh, you know that feeling. And it is completely inexplicable. The fact that babies give us hope is completely... It makes no sense. They cost a small fortune. Um, they completely interfere with your personal life. They're a ton of work. There's about 10 billion things that could go wrong with them. Um, there's about a 110% chance that this little harmless tiny thing is going to shatter your heart a million times over the next 20 years. And, uh, and, and you know that they're someday going to sit and tell a therapist about how bad you screwed them up. Um, so that's that's a fun part of the game and still something deeper and clearer and more concrete happens in our limbic cortex in our emotional soul when we hold one and it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a tangible link to the future that gives us hope um, and, and you could you can never access that feeling with When I picture Zachariah writing this song, or maybe he just spontaneously spit it out like a freestyle rap, I don't know. Um, But I I picture him with that wide, glassy-eyed look of a new dad holding a baby that that he can't believe he helped um, make, kind of bubbling over with hope. responses are kind of easy. Um, the responses, uh, the reason we circle back to this place uh, every year and these four virtues um, is because we believe that by meditating on hope, by spending a week fostering hope, uh, or peace for joy or love, we are inevitably find ourselves longing for Jesus, uh, for the appearing of Jesus. So, the response is to meditate on hope, very simply. Um, and here's the deal. Hope is perfect. Crazy important in our world right now. Maybe more than ever. And if we don't start talking about hope and and, and helping each other stay accountable to hope, um, then, uh, then, then we're in big trouble. Um, this is so unbelievably true in our church family um, uh, this year and over the past couple of years, really. Um, as you know, very. Suicide. We have um, uh, that pandemic and isolation and all the stuff that that's doing to our souls. And we have people in our church struggling with COVID right now, you know. And and it's super important that we remind each other that there is hope and that we give each other that next step um, to hope, Uh, even if it's, you know, meeting together. Is to come have coffee with me, you know, and to to foster hope and to to talk and look at the future together and plan ways that we're going to do that in ways that we can feel like I have a reason for tomorrow. Every benchmark we use to gauge mental health in our country right now is off the chart. Um, They have certain ways of of measuring just kind of generic mental health, and it all looks terrible. Um, Every single uh, benchmark. Off the charts, more stressed and less emotionally healthy than we have ever been since they started keeping track as a nation. Um, We've suffered some pretty awful things on the grand scale and and on the small scale in our community. Um, And what the world needs and what our community needs is some people who hope. It's some people who can help others to hope. We need people who really do. Not have to do that, um, and yet he did it to save and redeem and love us, and uh, and we know that he's coming back to heal brokenness and restore that which has been lost, um, and he's commissioned us to use today um, the, the kingdom of God and the love of God uh, and, and people, and no matter how horrible the world seems to be getting at times, no matter how hard it is to see a path forward. Hopeless it might feel. We know that because Jesus proved that He's the God who shows up. That it is never hopeless. That Jesus, with Jesus, it is never hopeless. And so it's our job to foster that, and fan that, and build that up uh, for one another. We fully expect that He will do it again. We fully expect that He will show up and take care of things. Because we know those things, we can sit in darkness. who inexplicably hope and, who, uh, and, and love. And, and even when it doesn't make any sense to do so, we're the ones who know we serve the God who shows up. We're the ones that have every reason in the world to hope. And that is what we have to do for one another. Because when we lose hope, bad things happen. Um, and that is just about as you can put it. We can live today as though the world is already better, already being ruled by love. and Because we have so much hope that that day is coming.